If you have your Bible, open them up to Romans. For, for those of you who may be new this morning, first of all, we just want to welcome you. And, and maybe some of you realize what's been going on around here. Or like those guys on the road to Emmaus asked Jesus, like, where have you been? Maybe you don't know what's going on. And so long story short. No, it's not. It's not a long story short. It's a long story, probably longer than it needs to be. Let's just be honest. So um, I want to just kind of bring everybody up to speed where we are. Lydia and I and our family, we've been in the process of adopting a baby girl for about, what did you say, seven months? For about seven months now. Um, when it started, we, we weren't in the process of looking to adopt or, or looking for a, a, a baby girl or a baby at all. We just answered the phone one day. And yeah, that's what we're guilty of. And, and the person on the other end of the phone said to Lydia, she, he said to her, would you, um, we have a, a young girl who's in Twin Falls, Idaho. She's 17. She's a um, senior in high school. The, the boy is already out of the picture and she's pregnant and they've decided to give this baby up for adoption. And they're wanting um, to find a Christian family outside the state of Idaho who would be willing to adopt this baby? Would you and Chris be willing to adopt or would you guys be interested in something like this? And so Lydia said, well, I, you know, I don't know. I'll, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think my husband's real keen on adoption and, but I'll ask him. And, and, and previously Lydia and I had some conversations and just being honest with how I felt, I told Lydia, I said, you know, I don't know that I could ever adopt. And I don't know that I could love an adopted child like one of my own. And, and if I can't, I have no business adopting. And, and so, um, you know, just being honest. And so Lydia said, well, I don't know. So let, let me go, let me ask him. And so Lydia comes home that day and I don't know what, what transpired, but I remember we were in the office and Lydia said to me, I got something to tell you. She's like, you, you need to sit down for this one. And me being the tough guy that I am, I said, sit down. I can take anything standing on my feet. What do you got? And then I sat down. And she said, she told me what was happening. And she said, you know, that, that, that someone's called and, and they're, they're looking for a family that wants to adopt. We'd be interested. And immediately the spirit of God came on us and, and, and we both got emotional because we just felt immediately that God was saying yes. And I said, yes, 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 let's do it. And I don't know if she took back or what she can tell you how she reacted, but you know, immediately it was yes, yes, yes. And so we, we called them, we said, yes, we'd totally be interested. And then Lydia and I began to pray and, and we, we, we told the, the, the middle family, which is her dad and, and um, her stepmom that yes, we would um, be interested, but... If it's a boy, there were some other families that were capable and loving Christian families who didn't have any kids. We said, if it's a boy, then, you know, we're not interested. If it's a girl, then we'll be interested. And so if it's a boy, then give it to one of those other families or, or get one of those other families involved that's, you know, that's interested in adoption. So then we just began to pray and continued to pray and say, God, if it's your will, the kind of the fleece or the first sign is that it'll be a girl. And so... The, you know, I don't know how much time transpired, maybe a month and it was time to get the ultrasound 20 weeks ultrasound. And so they, you know, we're kind of waiting to hear. And so they, they call us and say, are you ready for this? It's a girl. And then Lydia tells me, you know, or it's a girl. And then we're like, uh Oh, <laughs> are, are we really going to do this? Is this, is this real? Is this serious? And you know, now's the time to really decide because before it was kind of like, it was fun, but if it was a boy, it was just, you know, come and gone. And, and now, now it's a girl. And so again, we began to pray. And again, when we began to say, God, if it's your will, then open the doors and, and, and let this happen and proceed. And, you know, then the, then the proceedings had to begin. And so we hired lawyers. We had to hire lawyers in Idaho and Utah for interstate adoption. We had to have the social worker come and go through our lives with a fine-tooth comb. And, you know, that whole process is a little nerve-wracking anyways. You know, I, like my wife's totally healthy. She can have kids. We tried to have two, and we have three. And she... <laughs> everything's good. And you know, my kids are, everything's pretty good. And yet you're going to come in my house and you're going to go through everything. And you're going to tell me whether or not you think I'm fit to have another kid. Like, who are you to tell me if I could have another kid or not? I can have another kid if I want. And, and you got to go through the process and, you know, and they got to ask you a bunch of questions and fill out questionnaires and forms about your life and all this stuff. And they go through it and they're looking for things to pick on. And the first night we, the social worker came to our house and I believe it was the Spirit of God. But I just bore my testimony to her completely. Like, I held nothing back. And, 
You know, I told her everything. Like, I don't even know where it came from. I just started talking to her, and I just was telling her, you know, I grew up fast on the streets of L.A. I was totally addicted in bondage and was living this lifestyle that was, you know, it was blah, 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 blah. And, and, then, and then I asked Jesus in my heart when I was 20, and, and I got radically saved, and I started walking with God, and I just started telling her the story. And when I was 22, I, got, I went to Bible college, and I, you know, and, and, and just God called me into the ministry, and, and, and Lydia's like, did you have to tell her all that on the first night? We're going to totally fail. And, and it was cool because when she came back and she did the final study and she was there and it was, she, she had to interview all the family members separately and differently. And I guess she wanted to find out from our kids if we beat them and, you know, and how we dealt with them. And so we, we made sure that they lied to her and told her that we, we talk it out when they get in trouble. That's what we do. And, uh, so, so I, I was the last one to go and she's, she's probing into a lot of the, the questions and things that I had brought up and, um, and the conversation went really well. And then she was getting ready to leave. And so I just couldn't leave it alone, you know? So I asked to ask her, I'm like, so what do you think? Are we going to pass? You know, what are, you, are we going to do all right? And, you know, she, she kind of got welled up with a little tear in her, in her eyes. And she said, you guys are going to make a great family. You're going to make a great adopted family for this little baby. And so then, um, then we, we, you know, we wait for the, the due date and we get a due date June 20th. And so we make plans to, to go to Idaho and we, we, thankfully we have a place to stay there with Lydia's dad and, um, and wait, the baby's going to be born in twin. And so it's the, tw- the baby's due on the 20th and we're getting antsy the 20th, 21st, 22nd, come and go, no baby. And so finally we're like, all right, let's just go. It's going to be any day. Let's just get up there and we'll be there. And so we head up there and we wait and we wait and we wait. And through this process, it's always, I don't know, it's just kind of unnervy. And, you know, you can't really breathe or relax and you're waiting and you're hoping. And, and then we got news that they were going to start induction on um, Monday if she didn't have it naturally over the weekend. And I was so excited because Monday was the 27th. And I'm thinking, oh, yes, I knew it. God loves me so much. Because if you guys know me, I have this like funny thing about the number 27. And I always tell people when they ask me, I say, 27 is God's favorite number. And they go, oh, really, Pastor? Why, why in the Bible, why, where, where does it say that? And why is that such a special number? And I said, well, because that's the day I was born. <laughs> of course, that's a special number. I was born on July 27th. And, um, and, and so I thought, oh, it's going to be awesome. You know, I knew God, I knew God loved me. It's at 27th. And, and then 27th comes and goes, and she hadn't progressed. And the doctor decided he couldn't do it. And so now we're looking at the 29th and Lydia's dad and my mom's birthday is June 29th. And so we're thinking, okay, it's going to be the 29th. And God held off. I, I knew he loved me, but I guess he loves Pastor Gerald and my mom a little bit more because it's going to be the 29th. And the 29th came and went and no baby. And so then on the 30th, she, she, she went in and um, sometime on that night, we got to the hospital waiting and they brought her in and she was had started labor. Her water broke and and we're just there anticipating, just waiting, waiting. And, you know, I think we stayed in the hospital all night. The next day, nothing happened. And so we, we left and we went out to breakfast. And then we find out, um, and the whole thing was a little bit, you know, it's a little bit, I don't know how to explain it. It's a little bit awkward, I guess, is the best word I can find through the process. The nurse would come in and, you know, we had made arrangements through the lawyer with her and with us on what the, the birth plan would be and how we would be. And, you know, her family was coming and it was just a little awkward to see them and for us to be there and them to be there. So they were trying to keep us separate. And some of the nurses were really nice and, 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 you know, worked with us and were nice to us. And others were like, not this one nurse comes in and she's like, yeah, okay, they're over there. And you guys are over here. So don't go over to anywhere down that hall or on that side. And if that wasn't good enough, she said, and don't even think about it. I'm like, all right, like, okay, I'm not, I can't think about it. Don't think about it. Like, how do you even do that? Like, what do I do when it comes in my head? I don't supposed to think about it. Like, so, so we, we weren't supposed to, you know, and then, and then, um, when, when the baby was born, it was a little bit tense. We were getting some updates and we had no updates for a long time. And, uh, at the baby was born at 9:44, So sometime that morning on July 1st, they, the doctor had decided to take her C-section and she went in and she had the baby C-section after being 11 days overdue and in labor for, 48 hours or something. And, um, so the doctor took her C-section, the baby's born. We had no idea. We found out later. And then right at that moment, the, the entire birth plan and what we had 
prearranged changed. And, and, and originally she was going to see the baby and do what they wanted to do. And then, and then they would give the baby to us and we would keep the baby. Well, the nurse came in and she said, um, well, um, the, the, the natural mother has decided to keep the baby with her while she's in the hospital and just give you guys visitation. And so that was kind of the first difficult, not the first, another difficult thing as we went through this. And this was the first one that hit Lydia really hard because, you know, we're, we're just really invested by this point. And, you know, part of our defense mechanisms are going like, we, 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 all we did was answer the phone. We weren't looking for a baby. We weren't trying to get the baby. We just were, you asked us and here we are and we're vested and we, the lawyers are paid and we're not getting that back. And, you know, and, and, and here we are. And, you know, we tried to guard our emotions through this whole process. And one of the things that we learned is that forget it. Don't even try it. You can't, you can't guard your emotion. You know, you can't, you can't, you try to guard your heart from hurt and pain, but the reality is you're just going to have to go through it and walk through it. And, and so that, that was the first difficult thing thinking, well, now she's decided to keep this baby with her. It's C-section. She's going to be in the hospital for a little bit. It's, it's going to, you know, is she, how, how is she not going to get attached to the baby over this time? And, um, and so we had to leave. We were told to leave the hospital. It's going to be a while before, you know, we, we get to see the baby for the first time. And so we got to see the baby for the first time for about two hours. And Lydia's dad, and we had all been hanging on for long, uh, you know, 14 days waiting as we were planning. And so D- Lydia's dad had to get home. I had to get home. So I got to see the baby for, uh, for a couple hours on, uh, on, was it Friday? She was born on Friday. And then the boys and I had to head home for the, the big 4th of July weekend here. And so... Um, that's the first part of the story. I'm going to tell you the second part of the story at the end of the message. So I want you guys, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to um, 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry. We could do 1 Corinthians 13. Let's do Romans chapter 8. Now, the section I want to focus on is in um, verses 12 through 17. But I do feel like just briefly, I, I have to set up Romans chapter 8. And if you're new to church or you're maybe new to, to study in the word chapter by chapter, verse by verse, Romans chapter eight is something you have to be familiar with. It's the, it's the holy grail of the scriptures. It's the pinnacle. It's, it's the, the cat's meow. It is such an important and pivotal part of our Christian theology, our Christian living, our, our God's blessing and promise on our life is this Romans chapter eight that starts with this amazing promise, middle amazing promise and amazing promise. And this amazing promise that there's no condemnation in Christ, that God, that all things God does will work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. That no matter what you do or where you go at the end of Romans chapter eight, you cannot be separated from the love of Christ. And so we have this Romans chapter 8 is tough to do in peace or in short, but I want to set up verse 12 through 17 briefly. So let's look at verse number 1. It says, "There There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, so the first thing I want you to understand in your Christian life is there's two C words you've got to be familiar with. One is condemnation and one is conviction. One is good and one is bad. One is from Satan and one is of God. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, one of his ministries or one of his jobs in this world is to convict you of sin. And that that sounds like cutting and like hard and, and it is, but it's a good thing. And the Holy Spirit's job in your life is that he's supposed to make you aware of your sin. He's supposed to tell you when you've sinned and, 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 and remind you and draw you to Jesus to repent and change of that sin. It's, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came alongside your life before you were a Christian, before you asked Jesus in your heart, and he began to convict you of your sin. And he began to draw you unto the Father. And then the enemy comes along in this, in this other C word that's condemnation, and he condemns you for everything you do. One of the things I do when I'm worshiping is I'm, I'm trying to make a connection with God. And I wish I could say that we, you know, we keep Satan at the door and, his enemy, and the enemy at the door when you guys come in. But unfortunately, he gets in through the cracks or something. But he, you, know, you can have a dirty thought in church, right? You, you can be tempted as you sit here. You can be lied to by the enemy as, as we study the Word with the Bible open on your lap. And so we're here and we're trying to worship. And, and you're trying to just raise your hands and you're thinking, the enemy begins to tell you, you hypocrite. A pe- person next to you knows that you're not spiritual. Put your hands down. They, they saw what you did yesterday, and you know what you did. Matter of fact, you should just sit down and stop worshiping 
And, and you get this idea and this, and you know, and you know these, this condemnation that's pushing you away from God. The easiest way to tell the difference between conviction and condemnation is condemnation pushes you away from God and the things of the Spirit. The conviction of the Holy Spirit draws you toward God and draws you toward the, the God's Holy Spirit. And so if you feel something, you hear a voice in your head, and the result is, man, I shouldn't go to church anymore. I shouldn't pray. I shouldn't step out in faith. I shouldn't do the things of the Spirit. Just know that that's condemnation. And what Paul tells us is it does not come from God. So really simple. You can now separate those thoughts that you have, and when you hear them, you can dismiss them. Because Paul says here in, in chapter one, verse, chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So dismiss it. And then he introduces this theme that's going to run through Romans chapter 8. Two ideas, flesh and the Spirit. Now this is a battle that each one of us are going to face throughout life. You know, the Apostle Paul, in, in, this, in his own struggle of doing what's right and following Christ and this call of God to, to walk right and to, 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 to follow the things of the Spirit, Paul says, man, those things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Anybody relate to that? You know, as we, as we want to serve God, as God's called us to do things. And, you know, we have the flesh and the Spirit and they battle. You guys have seen that. I think it was like a Tom and Jerry cartoon. And I always remember it, but it was so accurate. I think, was it Tom or Jerry that always had a little angel on one side and a little demon on the other side? And they were both talking in his ear. And one was telling him to do something terrible. And the little angel was telling him to, to not do it. That, that's the battle that, that, that we face in the Spirit. One of the things I pray every morning is, God, help me to react in every situation today in the Spirit. So you guys can leave here. You guys can head down to Walmart. And the guy in line can just be completely rude and disrespect you and just do something completely off color. And now you turn around and you face this person and, and now you have this battle and you have these little angels and demons on your shoulders and one's telling you, punch him, punch him, punch him. He deserves it. And maybe he does. And the other one is telling you, love him, love him, love him. Turn the other cheek. Do, do what God's called you to do. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. And maybe you give them a kind word and you, you, you be salt and light. And, and, and that's a battle, right, that we're all going to face. Do I react in the spirit or do I react in the flesh? So that, that's a theme throughout Romans chapter 8. It's a theme of your life and my life. But the cool thing is the Apostle Paul is going to tell us how do we achieve this walk of the spirit. How do we, in that situation in Walmart, how do I not punch that guy? And instead, how do I love him with, with a love that's, that's from God? How do I show him something that's godly or something that's, that's a character that I don't really possess in, in, of my own? And that brings us to verse number 12. Actually, I'm sorry. One more thing we've got to highlight real quick. Let's look at verse number 4. That the righteous requirements... I'm going to read it all. Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Do you guys have little titles in your Bible over sections? Romans chapter 8, what does that title say? Free from indwelling sin. So turn with me really quick to, to Matthew chapter 5. So the first section that sets up the next section I want to get to is this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And the Apostle Paul says there's a, there's a freeing from the, the indwelling sin and from this personal struggle. And then he goes on and he explains that, that what the law could not do, the spirit of God does in your life and in my life. And so we have this Old Testament system of law. And Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law. And the law wasn't bad. The law wasn't, oh man, the law and that system that God set up in the Old Testament didn't work. It was bunk. So Jesus had to come in. He had to correct it. He had to get rid of it. He had to do something different. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that the, the law was a schoolmaster and it was good. And it served a purpose. But I've come now that I might fulfill the law. 
and move on to this new dispensation of grace where now we, we relate to God not based on the law, but we relate to God based on the Spirit of God. And in, and in Romans chapter, or I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And so if we want to live our lives according to the law, we, we have to follow these standards. And Jesus goes on, as you guys know, and he says, you've heard it said, do not murder. And that's where we all get excited, like we're doing good, we're righteous, we're holy, we're, we're, we're spiritual people. We, I've never murdered anybody. Now, some of you, I don't know, maybe, maybe, but I've never murdered anybody. So I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And, and, then, and then Jesus says, but if you've ever been angry at, at someone without just cause, you've committed murder already in your heart. And you go, oh, guilty. And then Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. And once again, we puff our chests out and we go, yeah, I've not done that. I've been faithful to my spouse all these years. And then Jesus says, but if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery already in your heart. And you go, oh, fail. And all these things as we go through, just to illustrate this fact, that, that we cannot please God according to the law. We cannot please God according to these rules that we need the Spirit. And then just in case any of you, you people went through this whole list and said, okay, I've been through the list and I don't know about the rest of you, but I can still hold my chest out. I still stand up. Jesus just gives kind of one to cover you as well. The self-righteous, I, I, I got it, guys. And at the very end, look at the last verse of Matthew chapter 5. Therefore, you shall be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard of righteousness. If you want to fulfill it apart from the spirit of God working in your life. All you have to do is be perfect as the father, as God in heaven, the father is perfect. So if you're perfect as the, as the father in heaven is, raise your hand. If anybody next to you raises their hand, just jump out of the way quick. So when the lightning hits, that it, it don't, it don't take you out too. So, so Jesus could not be more clear, right? That, that, that the standard of righteousness is absolute perfection. And that, that none of us are going to achieve that perfection. There's only one that ever has, right? And who's that? Oh, come on. Somebody preach it. Say, Jesus. There's only one person. And who is that? Jesus. So apart from, from that, no one will achieve that, that, that level of righteousness. We won't walk in it. We won't have it. And then we need this, the, the, the Spirit of God and, and God's grace who works in us. And so as we get back, now that, that brings us to verse 12. Because verse 12 starts with the word what? Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, and as you guys know, the, when you see the word therefore, you have to see what it's there for. In other words, the Apostle Paul laid down some, some doctrine. He laid down some theology. And now what's cool is the therefore is application to how you apply this theology, this doctrine that the Apostle Paul just laid down. How do you apply it to your life? How, how does it practically work in my life? How do I take that to work with me tomorrow? How do I take that in the car with me today when I got to go drive in traffic? How do I take that into this adoption, into this, this life, into this situation in my life? And so Paul says, therefore, since you have this groundwork, these worship teams throwing their stuff all over the place. That was, that, that was, that was uh, Carl's fault, huh? He put the fan on your stuff brings us to verse 12 and it says therefore brethren we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live now so it's talking about now listen follow it if you live according to the flesh you're going to die but if you live according to the spirit you you put to death the deeds of the body you will live now if you just apply that to the world that we live in, there's plenty of people who don't walk according to the Spirit. There's plenty of people who walk according to the flesh and, and live lifestyles that are evil and hedonistic and, and lives of pleasure and, and against God and anti-God. And yet they go on and they breathe, right? And they, they're going to wake up tomorrow morning and they're, they're living if that's what he's talking about here. It's not like everybody who doesn't do it drops dead one day. So when he says you will live... He's obviously not talking about breath in your body. He's talking about something deeper, right? He's talking about a life that you live. Just like when Jesus said, um, the, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life. And that? 
All right. Give yourself a hand. That you might have life and that more abundantly. Jesus talks about an abundant life. It doesn't mean like I'm going to get like, I'm going to borrow Russ's oxygen mask and I'm just going to have this oxygen that gives me this great life and I breathe easier than everybody else. And it's not, it's not physical, right? It's spiritual. It, it's, it, Jesus promises you an abundant life that, that, is, that is a joy, the Bible says, that's deeper than your circumstance. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, deeper than your circumstance. That, that, that's a joy that Jesus promises in abundant life. He says he's going to give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. And it has nothing to do with whether you're poor or whether you're rich, whether you, you know, all those things, right? Wealth doesn't equate, and that's not what he's talking about. And so here he says, if you live according to the Spirit, you will have life. You will have life, the same life that Jesus promised, a life abundant. You know, if, if, if it was just about being wealthy, if wealth made you happy, then how come, you know, if that were true, then in our society, everybody who was wealthy would be the happiest people in our society, right? Is that true? You know, you know among the affluent people, the suicide rate is higher than among the poverty people. More wealthy people commit suicide than, to, you know, way, way more people. And why is that? Because it's just, that's not the type of life that Jesus promises. That's not the life that brings abundance. And, and it's, it's deeper than that. It's a spiritual life of walking after the Spirit. Now, now, the ultimate, you know, kind of struggle, I guess, kind of reality. God's given us some pretty impossible commands. And you as a Christian person who's called to be salt and light, make a difference in this world, be a light, do something. May, live your life in such a way, man. I hear this all the time and I always go, man, I hope I can do that. I don't know how to do that. Live your life in such a way that when other people see it, they want to be like you and they want to see Jesus in your life and they just want to have your life because it's such a bright light. And I'm like, man, I don't know that I can always live that way, but I want to. What about when Jesus says, or the Bible says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And then you contemplate in your mind, how did Christ love the church? The, the, the king of the universe, the creator of all that's the heavens and the earth and all that's in them. The guy who with the flick of his finger puts beetle geese in orbit. Who has all the power in the world. They put a bag on his head and they punch him in the face. They spit on him and they ridicule him. They rip his beard from his mouth, from his, from his cheeks. They put a crown of thorns on his head and he humbles himself. And he takes it, not because he's missing a little bit of power, but because he loves the church and he loves the bride. And then you read that and you say, I'm supposed to love my wife that way? Forget about it. There's no way. And, and, and how can I do that? How can I live these impossible commands? Don't, don't, you know, don't drink and don't smoke and don't chew and don't hang out with girls who do. How am I supposed to do that? And what's so awesome about this, this spirit-filled, spirit-living life that we're called to in the, in the gospel is that, is that God not only gives you all these impossible commands, and if all he did was gave you those inc- impossible commands and then took his hand off and said, okay, dance, that's religion. That, that, that's the definition of religion. That's what a religion is. That's what every religion in the world does. It's rules and regulations without the power of God to help you complete those rules and regulations. And then, and then what happens? Invariably. You, you, people, you know what breaks my heart about religion? Religion in our own community even. Is that these are good people who mean well, who with all their heart want to please God. They really do. And you get to know them and they're, they're really crying out like, I just want to, I want to please God. I want to do it right. I, I, I want to, and they, they try, they try, they go to church, they pay their tithes, they do this, they do that, they dress the right way, they say the right things, and they really, in their heart, want to please God, and they're failing, and they're failing, and failing, and failing, and they're not living up to the standard, and they're really trying hard, and then there's this condemnation that keeps coming in, and this condemnation that keeps lying to them, and telling them you can't make it, and you're not going to do it, and you're failing, you're failing, you're failing, and that's religion, and praise God, that grace changes all that. And we, we teach this amazing grace that says you live after the Spirit. God's giving you some impossible commands, but He's not going to leave you to yourself to, to, to be, be obedient. You guys don't really, you know, we, we don't get credit for anything, unfortunately. 
God, God does it all. He gets it all. You know, and so, so God gave you this impossible commandment. But then he says, here, here's the spirit of God. He's going to live inside of you. You're going to relate and commune with him every day. Every day, you're going to ask that God's Holy Spirit would, would continue to fill you and, and overflow you and empower you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. To, to help you to be obedient to the things that I've called you to do. To live your life in such a way that you begin to remove the bondage and the addiction that, that holds you down. That the Spirit of God is going to do it in, it in you and through you. You know, even the faith that you have, and the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You think, okay, well, at least that I get, to, I get to have a little bit of faith. And Lord, I got faith to believe in you and add a boy. And then God says, nope, that faith that you have, I gave it to you. You don't even get that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to even do that for you. The only thing I can find in the scripture, really, that we get to do, the Apostle Paul says, the one thing that I do, the one thing, the only thing the Apostle Paul could nail down that he actually got credit for and he did, was he said, the one thing I do is, is I drive the car through the windshield. That's my version. The one thing I do is I forget those things that are behind and I press toward the upward call in Christ Jesus. So, so in, in life, I understand that even though there's a bunch of junk in my rearview mirror, I have to continue to look, look through the windshield. Because what's in front of me is what God's interested in and what God's going to do to change my life. And, and so I constantly just have to say, forget what's behind me. And I know it's bad and I know I messed it up pretty good. But the one thing I have to do is continue to drive this car through the windshield because none of us are going to drive a car very well in the rearview mirrors and in the side mirrors. You know, uh, you got to be pretty talented. Maybe you drive your car like Greg drives that rock buggy and you could, you could pull it off. But unless your back tires turn and your car moves sideways, you're not going to do so well. You got to drive through the windshield. So in verse number 13, it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But by the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of the, of the body you will live. Verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Such an amazing, powerful section of first adoption. And this is our adoption week, and our adoption was finalized on Friday, and I had every intention of going back to Mark as we're studying. We're, we're marching through the Gospel of Mark, and I just couldn't let this one go. And, and so, you know the amazing thing about adoption? First thing about adoption is that with adopted kids, you choose those kids. You know, the, the sons and daughters, the brothers and sisters that you have now, you don't get to choose them. You just got to put up with the ones that God gave you. <laughs> Deal with it. But an adopted kid, you get to choose. That's a choice. And the Bible says that God has adopted you. He's chosen you. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I look in the mirror and I think, God chose me? Did he, chose me? Did he choose me because he didn't know me? Because he didn't know what I was going to be and who I was? No. He knows me thoroughly. He knows everything about me, past, future, present. God knows me more than anyone could ever know me intimately. He knows the amount of hairs that are on my head. He knows my coming in and my going out. And he still chose me? That blows you away. God chose me. And the Father has adopted you as his children, and he chose you to come in. You know, the lawyer told us, and we, we, we kind of knew this, but the lawyer had said, you know what's interesting about adoption? And there's tons of paperwork, and it's legal, and it goes between the courts, and, and you file, and... When, with your own children, your biological children, and, and, and I don't want to tempt anybody in church, so be careful, but you can disown your own children. You can legally disown your own children. With adopted children, you've lost the right to disown them. You cannot disown an adopted child. You've already owned them and they're yours, and, and there's no legal recourse for unadopting a child. And, 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 and that's just the way it is. And so, you know, to think that, that God has chosen us and adopted us. And then, the, and then the other part, the important part of verse 15 is where it says, Abba, Father. Now, this, this is a term of endearment. And, and one of the things about being a, a sonship through the Spirit and being a true son of God is that we have a, a, an intimate relationship with the Father. You want to know the true test of sonship? Do you want to, re, you know, you want to know you yourself if you're a child of God, 
If the person next to you is a child of God, really one of the easiest tests is right here in this whole Abba Father that, that, that Paul gives us here. The word Abba, it's an Aramaic word that the translators, for whatever reason, have chosen not to translate into English. Several places in the Bible where we just get the words in the original language. And Daniel, remember, meaning, meaning, tickle you farsen? Not translated, just given to us in the original language. Jesus on the cross said, te telestai. And, and, and not translated, just given to us in the original language. And this is one of those words, for whatever reason, that the, that the translators just chose, according to the Holy Spirit, not to translate. You know what the word Abba means? Daddy. It's the first word that a baby will learn, especially if they're my kids. Because all my kids said, Daddy, first. I'm three for three. I'm going for four. <laughs> Lydia thinks that she's going to say Mommy first on this one. She says, she, you know, she's got a girl. She's going to get one, but I'm not giving up without a fight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it on re- repeat in her crib at night. Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. <laughs> she's not going to know what it means, but she's going to say it. First word that children say is, is, is Abba, Daddy. In my, in my house, one of the things that I, I really appreciate is we have a lot of neighborhood kids that come by and they're in my front yard and they're playing wiffle ball all the time. And, you know, we've tried to create a house such that it's open for the, the kids are welcome in the neighborhood to come by. And, um, you know, and, and you might come by and you don't know me. You might look and you might say, man, are all those kids yours? And say, no, most of them, but not all of them. And how, how would you know which ones are mine and which ones weren't just by looking at the kids in the yard? You know, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. There's some way. If you couldn't ask them what their, what their name was, you just had to kind of try to figure it out. Maybe you could cut them and take some DNA and test it. Or, you know, probably the easiest way that you would be able to tell which ones were mine is, is when they came to talk to me, the neighbor kids might say, Mr. Bagno, not my neighborhood. They say, hey, schmuck. No. They might say, Chris, but my kids, when they come to me, what are they going to say? Daddy. That'd be the easiest way to find out which ones are mine. Just stand there and wait for them to talk to me. And the ones that say, Daddy, those are mine. And the ones that say, Mr. Begno, the ones that say, Oh, most righteous, heavenly father in heaven. Maybe those ones aren't mine. And you know, you can tell a lot about somebody about how they pray when they're in trouble. And a guy that says, Dad, help probably speaks to somebody who knows the Lord intimately and has a, has a relationship and understands this whole father and Abba father thing because they speak to God in such a way that, that is, is reverent and is loving but is intimate and is genuine. Abba, father. You know, another thing, when you see people, right, and we, you know, probably, if I'm being honest, we probably have all been there, not all of us, but as many of us have been there at one point and you know, you got one foot on the ground and one foot on the bed. And you say, God, if you just get me through this night, I'll never do it again. God, God. And we, we, we have this, this begging, you know, and this, this begging God. Or then it turns into, God, if you just get me through this night, I'll go to church for two weeks. I won't, I won't sell drugs on Sunday. Or whatever your, your compromise is. And you make these deals and you bargain with God or you beg God and... And, and, and that's the way that, that some people, you can tell it's a, it's a sign of sonship, right? Those are not kids of God. Those are not sons of God. They're not adopted into God's family because they have no intimate personal relationship with him. I mean, how awkward would it be if my kids were out front playing wiffle ball in the front yard and one of them cut himself and he came running up to me and he said, he said, dad, dad, if, if, if you just help me, I'll do the dishes, dad. If you just help me, dad, I'll clean my room. Dad, please, 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 Dad, please, just help me, I'm cut. It's crazy, right? You don't have to bargain with me to come and help him. I want to help him. He's going to come and he's going to say, Dad, Dad. That's all he's going to say. I'm going to see it. I'm going to know what's going on. And then we're going to start helping him. And we're going to start getting him help. And there's, there's intimacy and there's relationship. And he doesn't have to bargain with me. And he doesn't have to, you know, beg me. I, I want to do it. And, and, and we have an intimacy. And that's what Abba Father is. It's just, it, it's this really neat um, description and, and intimacy that we can have with God. And the other thing you got to remember is that this whole Father thing, it's New Testament. This idea is not given in the, in the Old Testament. 
The, the, the word and this, this whole re- revelation of Father is a New Testament concept. 300 plus times. And I tell you guys this probably every week if you come to church here. The number one word that God uses to describe Himself to you and me is what? It's Father. Number one word. And sometimes you might think, well, He's God. I mean, what, you know, if I asked you a trivia question, what's the number one word in the New Testament that God uses to describe Himself to the bride? You might say, you know, you might, you might think that it would be something very, very magnanimous and very awesome and big, but it's Father. 300 plus times. And, and, and no doubt the disciples' minds were blown when they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, will you teach us to pray? And Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven. Address God as Father? It would have been, it would have been a new thing. And, and that's what God desires. And that's... And, and as he's adopted us and he's called us into our family. And he goes on and he says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with him, that we may also be glorified together. There's, um, there's a family in, uh, in Idaho that is friends of ours. And um, her name is Tracy Hills. And she has... She has Macaulay's uh, Future and a Hope is this orphanage in Malawi, Africa that we, we've mentioned from time to time on our mission support. And she has three, um, three kids, three boys, older boys. And then um, she adopted two younger children, a girl who's now uh, 18 and a boy who's 14, Macaulay and Parker. And when we were in Idaho and, and we had spent some time with them, they, they took us rafting one day on Sunday as we were waiting for the baby to be born. And we went and had lunch together and uh, Lydia must have told Jerry or something, the dad, about some of the concerns I had about being able to love an adopted child as one of my own. And it was really cool because a dad who had three natural born kids and two adopted kids, he, he said, hey, Chris, he said, I want to tell you. He said, I, you know, Lydia told me, you know, he had little concerns. And he said, I want to let you know. He said, you're not going to have any hard time loving her like your own. And he had Parker, his adopted son on, on one side of him and Preston, his, his natural son on the other side. And he said, he said, I don't, I don't think of Preston. I don't love Preston any differently than I do Parker. They're both my sons. I think of them the same. I see them the same. They're both one. And, 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 and I have the same affection for both of them. And then what was cool, Preston, the oldest boy, spoke up. And he said, he has an older brother, natural brother, and then an adopted brother. And he said, he said yeah. And he said, I, I don't see Parker any different than I see Casey. They're both my brothers. I love them both the same. And we're a family and we're together. And in God's family, God brings us in. And, and, you know, I mean, maybe some of you guys grew up with stepkids or stepbrothers or sisters, but as I did, or half-brothers and sisters. But, you know, growing up, you never think of that stuff, right? And that's never play, you know, as my half. No, it's just, you're just family. You're just, just brothers. And God's brought us into his family. I want to share with you guys just the last little um, section of, of, of our adoption, and, and then we're going to close. And so... The baby was born and, and everything was very kind of, you know, it's been rough throughout the whole process of waiting and, and wanting. And, and we're in a position where we're trying to trust God and, you know, and, and we are. And believe me, our, our faith is not going to be rocked no matter what happened. And we're going to walk through something very difficult. But, but we're going to go on regardless and we're going to serve Jesus. That, that's a staple. That, that's a given. But, but it didn't make it any easier and it didn't make it any less emotional as we walked through this process with the Lord as God called us and, and carried us through and, and has tremendously blessed us through this whole process. So the baby was born and we were only having visitation and the baby was in her room a lot. And we, um, on, um, on Saturday, everything just changed for the better. Like all of a sudden, like we we're expecting a long stay, barely get to see the baby. And, and just the way God did it, she had a C-section on Friday at two o'clock on Saturday, they released her. And, and, and they came in and they told Lydia that, that you're getting to go home and, and take the baby with you. And, and Lydia's like, well, but, you know, but Macy said the baby's got to stay until she stays. And they said, oh, no, she's leaving, too. Really? So, so she called Lydia, called me all excited. And they went through the process. And she took a picture of taking the baby out of the hospital on Saturday. And, and, and we, we go home, and Lydia's there now by herself, and Marilee stayed with her, and they're staying up there, and, and she's there. And, and we have a court date on, on Thursday to finalize everything. 
And so we're just kind of waiting with this kind of anticipation of what's going to happen, knowing that she has the ability to change her mind anytime through this process. And so Lydia's there on, 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 um, over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, and the boys and I came home for the 4th of July stuff going on here. And so Tuesday we had made plans to go back up. And so we're in the car on the way back up, and, and Lydia called me, and she was completely distraught, like I've never heard her in all our lives. I, I, we walked together through her mom dying from pancreatic cancer, and never, never heard her or seen her this upset, even through that whole process. And she said to me, the lawyer called, and Macy wants the baby back. She changed her mind, and, and we have to bring the baby back at 11 to 30 tomorrow. And, and, and you know, we're talking through it, and, and, and Lydia's obviously upset, and she says, I, don't, I can't keep this baby another night. I don't want to bond anymore, and if I have to take her back at 11.30 tomorrow, I, I'm just going to take her back right now. I'm going to give her what we have, and I, I can't do another night like this. I just can't do it. And I said, I'm on my way. Just please wait. Just let me get there. I want to see her. I want to say goodbye. I, I want to spend some time with her before we have to give her back the next day. And so the boys are, are taking it pretty hard, and Caleb had said, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to get a sister after all. And why are we not going to get a sister? And it was cool because part of, part of the blessing just in that was that you saw the boys' hearts were already knit to her as well and that she was already a part of our family. And, and though they may not show it or say it or verbalize it, you could tell that, that they were in it. And so, um, you know, and then we went through a lot of emotion during that time. And, and we said, God, why, why would you bring us to this point and you know what? I understand you guys. And I tell you that as a mature Christian, why is just a bad, you know, it's it's bad question. You know, God's got a plan. But there we were. And I'm, why? Why, God? I trust you, but why? I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to serve you. I'm not mad. I'm not going to, you know, I learned a lesson from Job. Neither will I curse you. But God, why would you bring us all the way to this point? And I guess you have a plan in it. But we've asked all the way along, Lord, that if it's not going to happen, let it happen sooner and and, and we just don't understand. And Lydia's dad was taking it really hard too because, you know, I, I can't tell you, you know, me personally, I'm sure there's tons of people, but me personally, I've, ne- I've never personally experienced anybody that's, that's faced more spiritual attacks from Satan in their life through the work of the ministry and stepping out front lines ministry for God. And, and, and God has used his life amazing. Many lives have changed through his ministry and his life and his faithfulness to God. But I've also seen the, the most spiritual attacks I've ever person personally witnessed on one person's life is Lydia's dad. And, and he had gone through tons of spiritual attacks this year. And he was feeling like in his heart, and he was saying to us, you know, just that he really felt like when this, this whole process started, that this was kind of God throwing us a bone and a blessing for, you know, Lydia losing her mom and, 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 and changing her life to come out here and serve as a, you know, a missionary out here in Tooele and, 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 and do what she's doing. And that, that this was, you know, and never us never having a girl and just really felt like God was you know, there was a blessing in it. And then when it wasn't going to happen, and, it, and, and we got to this point, and it was now time to give the baby back. I told Lydia, I said, the one thing that you'll, you'll get out of that experience is you'll be able to tell people what it feels like to have a donkey kick you in the chest. Because that's what it felt like. And then just by, so we got there, and the boys and I got there, and we, we were processing and weeping and you know, I sent some messages out for people to be praying for us at that time and didn't give them any information that we were told we had to give the baby back, just that, you know, please pray. And man, so many people, so many of you guys, and I want to thank you guys, so many of you guys through this process really prayed for us and we felt it. And there were so many times where God just carried us through this process and was supernaturally working in the whole thing. And then about eight o'clock that night, we get another call and it's, and, and the call says, well, um, Macy has decided to... Um, she's not sure yet what she wants to do. So let's, let's not, let's cancel the 1130 appointment tomorrow, but also there's no court now too. She's not ready to go to court. So she's going to take some more time to decide. So now here we are, and we're in a situation where we could keep the baby now for a couple more days, and then she could decide one way or the other and just difficult and, and feeling like, Hey, you know what we need to, you know, to be fair to us. And, and she needs to make a decision and, um, and not wanting to, to make this ultimatum, and she just needed some time. And so we were in back in a waiting period, but the court date that we had scheduled and were waiting anxiously for all week was, was no, no longer going to happen. And then um, Pastor Gerald flew in. He didn't get to see the baby, and so he, he had never seen the baby. So he wanted to fly in and see the baby at least once. So, so he had caught a flight and, um, and came in and, and was there with the, with the baby and got to hold the baby, meet the baby, went out to lunch. 
And about 2 o'clock on Thursday, my phone rings. And I look down, and it's the lawyer. And so I answer the phone, and I put it on speaker, and we're all around this table. And, and he's like, Chris? And I said, yeah, Bart, we're all here. What's up? And he's like, well, I just got off the phone with Macy, and she's decided to go through with the adoption. And just everybody at the table was like, Pastor Gerald began to weep, just weep, because, I don't know, it was just such a relief and such a burden that he was taking, he was carrying so heavily. And, you know, it was, it was tough because I told Lydia, I said, you know, you, don't, you just don't realize the burden your dad carries and that, you know, you wouldn't show it, you wouldn't know it, but, you know, and, and when he was able to let down and just joy. And I told Bart, that was our lawyer, I said, well, we're super excited, we're in tears here, but I want to tell you that we've been through a lot and we're not going to celebrate until this thing is final. And he said, okay, I'm going to call the judge right now and see when I can get the next court date available is. And he called back and he said, we got a court date for 430, but they want to see the baby. We, one last time, and they have a sister and, and wants to see the baby. Will you bring the baby here so they can see the baby? And so the way it worked out, we, we weren't able to make it until after the court date. So we met them there at 5. They went. She finalized. And then she got to see the baby with her sister one last time. And what an amazing opportunity that Lydia and I had. And, and, you know, she again, and we were in communication with her now. And through this process, one of the things that God did was, um, and, and I had been feeling it, a little, little tidbits of it throughout the process. And, and God spoke to me through this process that, that we were not only going to be able to affect one life, but we were going to affect two. And that God was going to have us be involved in, in changing two lives, Gabrielle and Macy's life. And that we were not going to only be adopting one, but that we were going to be adopting two. And, and so we went in, and, and she's such a sweet gal. And, and I hugged her, and I was being blub, blub, blubbery and emotional. And I kept apologizing for being so blubbery. And, and I, and I, but I was able to tell her from my heart, we love you. We, we, we're here for you. We want to help you through this process. Whatever we can do, whatever you want, whatever you need. Um, I told her that God had spoke to my heart that, that we were going to affect two lives here, and we were going to adopt two people here, and that... God would, would bless her life and go on. And she'll know she made an incredibly difficult and hard decision. But that through that, 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 that God was going to bless her. And she didn't abort this child. She made a tough decision to do the right thing. And, and just knowing that she wasn't in a position financially in another way to take care of this baby. And she put this baby in a good home. And, and for that, there's going to be a relationship and a blessing and, and be involved. And, and there was a lot of joy on Thursday. And then we got to... You know, we had one more process of being, having both states agree, and, and miraculously that happened immediately. And we were able to uh, bring the baby home on uh, Friday night. We got home about Friday night. It's all official now. It's done. We, we now have two people we've adopted in our family. And amen, amen. So come, let's come on up, Lydia. Will you come? I'm just going to let Lydia, uh, Chad, can give me this right here. Oops, sorry, Aaron. I don't want to. Which that side? Yeah. All right, that side. Sorry, the other side. Can you take her? Can I take her? Yes. Yeah. This is Gabrielle Nicole. <laughs> you got her. Hi, baby. There's your bow. Oh, stretch her out. Yeah, we gave up on the bow. Stretch her out. She likes when I wake her up and talk to her. So yeah. I girl. You ready to wake up? So yeah, it's been it's been a huge emotional roller coaster, but you know, I mean, it, it just how God orchestrated this whole thing. You know, um, a wow. year ago, I had gone down to visit my parents in oh, California, and I was doing laundry one day, and Marilee just happened to be talking to me, and she was asking me, you know, do you guys want any more kids? And our youngest is eleven. And I said, you know, I think we're good. I said, you know, I think, I think we're good. I said, but, you know, if God ever dropped a baby girl in my lap, I'd sure take her, you know. And um, just a comment in passing, you know. And my dad and Marilee have both been in ministry for over 40 years, you know, as pastors and pastor's wives. And, you know, never have they come across a situation like this where someone just calls and asks, you know, if they can find a home for their baby, you know. And as soon as she got the phone call that there was a, a home needed, those words that I had said, if God dropped a baby girl in my lap, I'd sure take her, came ringing, it, it ringing in her mind, and she called us. And that's kind of how this whole thing happened. And, you know, um, we have three boys, and I love my boys. But I, I, God, you know, I mean, there's a verse in the Bible that says that God knows the desires of your heart. You know, even more than I even knew the desires of my heart. Because, really, I wasn't done, you know. And, and never did I think that we would have a girl or... Um, 
you know, my mom and I were best, best friends. And, you know, the Lord took her home about nine years ago. And just to be able to have that relationship with the daughter. And um, so when this whole thing happened, it's just so amazing because God is so faithful. And like I said, even a desire I didn't even really know I had in my heart, God knew, you know, uh, the desires of my heart. And he's blessed us amazingly. And and then when when things started to change at the hospital, it was um, it was it was hard. You know, it was really hard. Um, and then I took this baby girl home, and I was just having so much joy. I told Chris, I don't even mind being up at 2.30 in the morning feeding her. <laughs> She's just so cute. I just, you know, and I said, plus I feel a lot better than when I had my kids, you know. <laughs> so I'm not as tired at 2 in the morning. And, I got you know? <laughs> Good. We go to this restaurant a couple nights ago, and the lady's like, oh, my gosh, how old's the baby? And I go, she's uh, five days old. And she looks at Lydia, and she goes, <laughs> she's like, if I looked as good as you after having baby five days, I'd have 20. And I said, I know, sweetheart. I said, she practically had that thing on the treadmill. <laughs> and Luke, my son, he's like feeling bad for the waitress. And he's like, she's adopted. I said, don't tell her. <laughs> but it was, it, um, when we got the call that Macy, you know, wanted her back, I was actually in Walmart at the moment. And um, I just, I just lost it. I thought I was going to pass out or I didn't know what, you know, and I made it to the car, just left everything in the car and, um, called Chris and my dad. And, and I was just at a point going, Lord, you know, I I mean, why now? Why couldn't this have happened a week ago or two weeks ago or whatever, after I've loved this little girl, you know, for these days and just all of these things. And, and, you know, just the emotions that we were feeling at that time. And, And Chris and the boys got there that night. And I told Chris, I just need to leave for a minute. You know, I need a minute. And so, I left by myself, and I went kind of down by the river. <laughs> and there was all these birds flying everywhere um, in this place where I was. And the Lord just brought back to my remembrance that, you know, if I, I, if I take care of the sparrows, you know, and the birds, how much more am I going to take care of you? And I was just like, and then, too, it was dark, and so there's stars everywhere. And, you know, the Lord just told me, listen, I, I orchestrate all of this. You know, and I, I got this. And it didn't, I didn't know what that meant one way or another. I just knew that whatever happened was part of his plan for our lives, you know, and that, that he was with me and that he was carrying us through. And then I woke up. I was a disaster Tuesday night, not going to lie. <laughs> um, but I woke up Wednesday and I had the most amazing peace, not even knowing yet what was going to, ha- uh, you know, happen. But, you know, I just know it was all of you guys praying for us and, and carrying us through and walking through this journey of ups and downs and good and bad and all of these things. But Wednesday, I just woke up with a complete peace and I just said, Lord, whatever, whatever you want to do with this little girl, you know, and I ended up texting Macy, the mom. And I said, I said, you know, um, we're, we're praying for you and we're praying for us and we're praying for this baby and we're praying for God's perfect will to be done because ultimately God loves her more than we do, you know? And she said, I truly believe that too, you know? And so the whole thing has just been such a journey in faith. And I told Chris, I'm like, that night, I couldn't even really pray. I just kept saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, you know, because I was struggling. Um, and then, you know, to, to watch it all come together and how it all worked out and just to watch Chris with uh, Macy afterwards and just to love on her. It was amazing. It was an amazing moment um, for all of us. And, um, you know, like I said, we're in communication. I text her all the time and send her pictures and, and let her know how she's doing. And she texted me Friday and she said, I am so happy with the decision that I made, and I know that I made the right decision for her, and, you know, we love you guys. And so it's been a beautiful process, and we have a beautiful baby girl, and we are just so grateful for God's goodness and his blessing and you guys all loving and supporting us and helping us through this whole process and just happy to have her here today to share with you guys and um, to celebrate as a church family just how good God is and how faithful he is through through everything. Amen? Amen. baby girl. So now we all adopted a baby, our whole church family. And I know she's not the only baby around here. I know there's so many precious babies. And so I want to close with a prayer. Before I do, I I always just want to close with an opportunity. And so let's have the worship team come back up. We're going to maybe, yeah, we'll sing a whole song. We can handle it. You guys a little bit late today, but you're big people. I want to give each one of you an opportunity. You know, this, this whole relationship of, of walking in the Spirit and having victory in the Spirit and being adopted. Each one of you is, is extended an invitation to walk and to live and to, 
to be in God's kingdom and to be a child of God. And that's as simple as believe. That's as simple as surrender and commit your heart and life to Jesus Christ. So we want to give each one of you an opportunity. If you want to give your life, if you want to get your heart and life right with the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to pray for you this, this, this evening, this afternoon. I want to give you that opportunity. I don't want any of you to leave here not knowing that you know that you know that you have sonship, that you are a child of the living God. And how do you become a child of the living God? The Bible says that by faith, you, you receive the Lord Jesus Christ. You admit that you're a sinner. You realize that, that you can't be made perfect according to your own works and that you need a Savior. And so let's stand together. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. And again, if there's anybody in here today who, who wants to ask Jesus in their heart for the first time, if they want to recommit their life to Jesus Christ, I want to give you that opportunity right now. And I want us to pray together as a church family out loud. And you know what? There's no magic in the words that we're going to say right now. There's only magic in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's only magic in the surrender of your heart to the Lord. So if you want to surrender your heart and, and life to the Lord, you just pray this out and God will hear you and God will know. Let's pray together out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I admit I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross. And raising again the third day. Come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys prayed that prayer today, we want to we wanna know about it. So please come up for individual prayer. Let's sing one last song and then we're going to turn this room around and we're going to eat. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right.